me breathe again I've lived enough life I guess Took some hits to the chest The weight of reality Stronger than gravity I've been Needed To heal love Just heal love Good morning. Good to see everybody here with us at our main campus. Welcome to you guys that are joining us online. So you all got to see a recap video of all the incredible things that were happening this weekend. If you didn't know, this was Ignite Weekend uh, for our youth ministry. And they had a weekend of serving together, worshiping together, having fun together, building relationships. So again, I hope that you'll take an opportunity to, because they're all here in this service. So you'll have an opportunity to say hi to them, to encourage them. Uh, because leading up to this, we've been praying for, doing everything we can to help support and be a part of what's going on in the lives of uh, young people. And again, uh, not only what's happening with them, but the amount of leaders, you know, and the people that took the opportunity to not only help and volunteer, but we had, uh, you know, people being host homes, having kids into the homes, and just doing a lot of incredible things. So the recap video was two reasons. One, to celebrate what's going on in youth ministry and celebrate you guys' lives and all the incredible things that are happening. And to say, if you didn't know we had a youth ministry, you should be involved, right? Like that's the, 
that's the other part of it is, is a lot of times people don't know like what's going on and so we wanted to show the recap video so you could have an opportunity to know God's really changing the hearts of people and it's credible not only to be involved as a kid but also as a leader you know and being a part of life change so again I hope you guys will take an opportunity after the service to uh, talk to these kids and encourage them in their walk because here's what we know and we said this from the beginning of life church and it's not just with youth ministry we don't want things to just be a weekend right like it's so important that things don't just become moments or just weekends but they're building blocks to life change right so we are praying for kids that were you know impacted you know it always happens this way you know as a youth leader before on weekends like this it's not just kids Right? I mean, God does something to adults, and God opens things into leaders' hearts that he wants to show at the same time. So my prayer continues to be the same thing, is, is that we build off of that and that God uses that as a building block to continue to change not only young people's life but leadership, and that we continue as a church to do everything we can to pour into these guys and, and let them be the ones who continue to help us change the world in that. So, all right, so we're in the Revelation series, so... Again, just a quick recap because I want to make sure that we're on the same page. If you haven't been here, this is an opportunity for you to know why we should be reading the book. Um, if you're joining us online for the first time, this is a good you know, introduction into why are we going into Revelation and why is it important. So remember that Revelation, just the name of the book that we're studying, means clarity, which tends to go against what most people think about Revelation, right? Most people look at Revelation and say it doesn't bring clarity, but what it does is brings confusion, right? So the idea of teaching through Revelation was twofold, right? One was this, is that we wanted to come to a place where we could bring clarity, you know, to what John was writing about through the angel to each one of us, not only here today, but to the churches that we're going to be studying. And part of that clarity is this. If you've been reading the book or you've been following along with us, this is the one thing that you'll see about the book of Revelations. There is nothing in there that isn't like forthright, right? Well, that just doesn't hit you right at home saying, I want to bring clarity to where you are at, right? So the per first way that you should be reading the book of Revelation is for yourself, for God to reveal where's your heart, right? To bring some clarity to say, where are you when, when he says, like, this is what I want to deal with in the seven churches, and this is what I want to deal with in the lives of people, we would always ask ourselves, God, reveal, right, bring revelation to or bring clarity to where our heart needs to change, right? Because that's an important part of reading this book because too many times people read it and they get caught up in imagery or they get caught up in side notes and they miss what he really wants to do, which is reveal something inside of your heart. Because remember, when he wrote this book, in the beginning, he's writing to seven physical churches, and he's writing them these letters, and this is the way that he would do it. Here's the letter, right? So he writes them this letter, and then a leader gets up and reads the letter. And so it's not only organizationally what should we do different, but it was like personally what needs to change. Now, here's the one thing that I've heard, and it's even happened as I continue to uh, read through the book of Revelations. It's like tough to read sometimes, right? Not tough in understanding, but tough in what it says to each one of us, right? Like what it reveals about sin in our life, what it reveals about things that need to change, what it reveals about things that, that we need to do differently. But what's great about uh, the, the book of Revelations is not only does it reveal stuff, but it also gives you a chance to change, right? Which is the key. 
right? So I think the book of Revelation, the other thing that it brings clarity to is that he does not want a church of people who will just continue to say they're sorry and never change, right? It brings clarity to this idea that you're not where you need to be. I guess it brings clarity to this. It's okay to say that you suck, right? Like, it's okay to say, my life isn't right, I don't have it all right, because here's what we know, right? God cannot work with proud people, right? Like, he just can't. Like, if you're going to sit there and say, well, I got it all together, and this message was for somebody else, God just says that, you know, before the fall, you know what happens before the fall of every person? Pride, right? Pride is always before the fall. So admitting that we all need help, put whatever you were to it. Maybe you don't want to say suck, but just let's say you're not where you need to be. It's okay to read it and read it in a way that reveals what it really says, which is you're not where you need to be because here's the greatest thing. He says, but you can change. You still have time, right? And the greatest thing through all of this is just to say you can reveal it, but the only way that it can be revealed is if you'll actually accept it for what it is, right? Accept that this needs to change and then repent from that and then let God use that to continue to change you. So the book of Revelations, don't run away from it. And this is what I keep saying. If you're naturally a runner, you need to not be a runner, right? So meaning that when you come in with conflict or you come with things that are tough to get there. A lot of people would rather close it or stop talking or run away. So if you're a runner, you can't run, right? Because it's an opportunity to open something up, to have a discussion about. So inside of that, things can really change because you, when you run, this is what we know about running, right? So when you run, the problem never gets fixed. It just gets buried. True? Right? It's just like you pile it over and then you go about doing life and you think it's okay. And then the next thing you know, the next fight comes. And what do you think's happening? The shovel's coming out to unbury that thing that never got fixed. You know what I mean? Like pull it out and bring it out. So in this, in the book of Revelations, you said, let's just go, let's just do what it needs to happen. Let's deal with it. Let's deal with our sin. Let's deal with our shortcomings. Let's deal with the things of where we're not need to be. Then from there, let's fix it, unbury it, unveil it pull it out, and let's bring healing to the thing that you keep trying to bury, right? Let's bring healing to the thing that only he can fix because that was the other part about Revelations, and this was week one, right? So week one, we were like this or talked about this. You know the only thing that can truly change a person's life? That's right. Not teaching, not worship, not weekends, not, you know, get-togethers. Jesus Christ is the and his presence is the only thing that can fix broken things, right? So the thing that we care the most about, right? This is what we were saying in week one. The thing that we care the most about at Life Church is because here's what we understand. And I don't think you want to talk about this, but we got to talk about it. God is either on your side or you are his enemy. You don't get a neutral. <laughs> there is no pass for floating around right? You're either on his side or you are his enemy. And here's what we know, right? Like when he talks about being on his side, he talks about obedience. Like our deeds, the things that we do will show that we are on his side. And he says again, and this is the, the end of the book, read to the end, the book of Revelations. I would rather be on the side of the guy that wins, right? And this is what it says at the end. He won, has already won. He will be there. So we would always pick, and I've always said this about myself, there have been times where God said, go this way, and I'd be like, that's the dumbest idea ever. Like, I don't want to go that way. Like, that, that way is terrible, right? 
But here's what I have to make a decision. I can either go the way that I want and he won't be there, or I can go to where he is even though I think it's dumb, but knowing that it's better to be where he is than where I want to be, right? That's this church, right? We've said that from the beginning. This church is about going where he is. There are no sacred cows, right? There's nothing inside of this church that won't change in a second if we're not where God wants us to be. He tells us where to go. We want to be there. And that should be for each one of us, right? For each one of our lives, it should be whatever decision that we need to make to move us to a place where he is. So that was week one, presence of God, right? The presence of God will do things. And this is what Jesus says. He says this to every one of you young people, right? Before you fall asleep. I got to make sure we get the good stuff in. <laughs> I know how these weekends work, right? So you got to make sure we get in some good stuff before you guys all start napping. But this is what he says. You as a Christian young person, you as a a Christian in general, have something living inside of you that Jesus says you will do more than he could ever have done on this earth, right? And he raised people from the dead, right? The reason is the presence of God will never be overcome by the threats of the world. The presence of God will never be overcome by the pressures of the world, right? The presence of God will heal things that you thought could never be broken or never be fixed, right? He can do that. So we care about the presence of God week one. Then he starts writing into the letters of the church. So in the churches, he writes to them. In the first week, he said, listen, here's here's some good things, Church of Ephesus, some good things about you. In the beginning, you guys were awesome. Forty years went by, right? Forty years went by, and you lost your first love. You lost your passion for a relationship with me, right? And this is why you lost it, so don't miss this, okay? Because this is what you guys all experienced this weekend, passion, excitement, right? You know, and, and this, this fire that goes with being together in a weekend, gathered around, worshiping God, right? But that can easily go away if you don't continue to work on your relationship, Right? It just goes away, right? Like all of the excitement, we know this, right? You can get excited and jacked up and you can be on fire for Jesus, but it's proven inside of scripture that as time goes by, if you do nothing to build that relationship, the love will go away, right? So for all of us, he says in the church of Ephesus, you need to work on your relationship because if you stay neutral or do nothing, you will lose your first love. It's a given, right? If you just attend, if you just show up, if you don't do anything, you know, to pursue the relationship with Christ, it will over time dwindle and it will over time go away. Then he goes to the church in Smyrna. We, the, the second or the third week we got together looking at the church of Smyrna and here's what he said. Persecution is the only thing that can reveal some of the things that need revealed in your life. And some of you have run away from persecution, and some of you have ran away from conflict, but God wants you to stop running and sit inside persecution and sit inside of conflict because there are some things inside of your heart that will only be revealed through that, right? And so we as as people and we as a church need to recognize there are times, don't run away from the conflict, don't run away from the persecution because what God's trying to do is unveil something that he couldn't get unveiled in the good times of your life. Because just like an FYI for all of us, FYI is this, is that if you've lived long enough, you know there is going to be times of suffering, right? If you've lived long enough, there's going to be times where where you thought life was going the way it's supposed to be, and then all of a sudden it's going to fall apart. That's not a question, that's a given, okay? 
So that's not a question. The question is, what are you going to do with it? As things are broken and as things fall apart, the question isn't like, why God did that happen to me? The reason is because you live in a fallen world, and until you see Jesus Christ again someday in this world, you will have trouble. It's a given. The question is, what will you do with the trouble? What will you do with the persecution? And what will you let it unveil? And not only unveil, what will you let it do? Right? Because we all understand that he's trying to do a work inside of each one of us. Then we went on the church in Pergamum where he said, we need to start talking about this idea of this double-edged sword because here's the problem. Some of you are good, but the person beside you isn't, and you aren't willing to have the conversation. All right? One side of the sword, word of God, reveal what needs to be fixed so that he can heal it. That's what the word of God is supposed to do. So read it. So that don't skirt around it. Read it so that it does reveal what needs to be revealed. And let God put you back together. Don't try to put yourself back together. Let God heal you in those situations. And this is what he says. If you don't, right? So if you skirt around it, if you don't, if you go down those roads, just so you know on the other side of that sword, something nobody wants to talk about in the church is judgment. I gave you a chance. I opened you up, I showed you what's wrong, you chose to, to walk away, you chose not to do anything about it. On the other side of it is judgment. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge you for not fixing those things. Now, here's the really important part about this, okay? So think about this. He's talking to a church who's saying, open you up, judge you, get it right, you know, talking about, you know, certain people in those areas. But he goes to them and says, some of you are doing really good, Right? Some of you are doing awesome, but you know somebody that isn't, and you're unwilling to talk to them, right? And the reason that you don't want to talk to them is because you know what happens when you bring up truth in the lives of people sometimes? Anybody? Right? You know why sometimes we don't want to talk to our kids about what they really need to hear? Because you know how they usually respond? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they don't, I mean, they are upset because truth is revealed, right? They're upset because you revealed something inside of their life that needs to be fixed. Now, here's the crazy thing. Parents, listen up, okay? Or people, listen up. Maybe not just parents. Because here's what he says. If you know, right, if you're in the right place and you're doing the right thing, but somebody beside you that you're in relationship with is living that life of sin, right, or going down those roads unwilling to change, and you do nothing about it, and you just exist with it, okay? You're on the same page? Right, you just exist with it. The judgment will fall, that falls upon those who are sinning will be the same judgment that fall upon those who do nothing about it. And that's the part that's rough only if now, this is the important part about it, and maybe I should have clarified this when we talked about it. Part of the problem with the churches is they try to judge without relationship. That's why nobody likes the church, because the church without relationship says you're a loser, you know, or points fingers from a pedestal, right, and says that you're, you know, they do that way too much. In this, because here's what, you know, when you're in relationship with somebody, the reason that we bring about sin, or the reason we talk about sin, is because we love them, right? When you're in a relationship with somebody, and when you talk to them, and you reveal sin, it's because you love them. And usually, at least from my standpoint, I've been off the road, or off the chain, and been in the ditch enough times in my life, that I love you enough, I don't want you to end up in the same place. I've been there, 
right? And I love you enough to say, if you keep going down this path, I'm just going to tell you from firsthand experience, this is where you end up, right? So it's not even a judgment as much as say, I want to expose something because I don't want you to end up in the ditch, right? I don't want you to end up in that place, right? So we expose those things. And so in the church of Pergamum, it was like, listen, we need to, to not only fix ourselves, but there are some people sitting beside you that you might have to have a hard conversation with. Right? There's some people inside of your circle of influence that you might have to have a hard conversation with. And I know possibly why you're not, but just so you understand, there's an expectation that God's saying you need to have it, right? And you need to do something about it. Which leads us then to the church that we're going to talk about today, which is Thyatira. So if you can turn to Revelations 2, we're going to be at the end there, uh, starting in verse 18. So Thyatira is what we're going to be talking about today. Now, Here's the thing that you're going to understand or you need to understand if you don't already. So the first few churches that he was dealing with, he was dealing with them and writing letters to them based upon where they were in the scope of falling off uh, in their walk with Christ. Okay, So the first three churches, the first few churches that we looked at, he dealt with them in somewhat of a graceful manner. Right? Like, these are the things you need to work on, and you need to get this better. Even the church in Smyrna, like, you have persecution, but you're doing really good because you're withstanding persecution. But once he gets to the church of Thyatira, you're going to see him dealing with this church in a completely different way, right? And clear to the point where we get to the church of Laodicea, which everybody knows that one, right? Because that's the one where lukewarm people, everybody recites this one, lukewarm people, what's he going to do and spit them out of his mouth, right? Like, that is a progression, and the reason that we need to understand that is, is a lot of people will listen to these messages, and they're going to walk out of here, and they're like, oh, my gosh, I feel like God's going to strike me dead as soon as I walk out of here, right? Like, I feel like a terrible person every time I walk out, and I feel so guilty, and I don't know what to do. So you have to understand, there was a progression, and this progression came because we're going to see in the church of Thyatira, they knew their problem for a long time. They just didn't give a crap. And it kept going, 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 and he's trying to change them, and it just keeps going. How he deals with them is different than the person's being like, I made a mistake. Do we understand that? Huge difference in I made a mistake, you know, I, you know I'm a sinner falling short of the glory of God, I made a mistake, I need to repent and change, compared to I know truth and I don't really care. Not only do I not really care, somebody confronted me and I really don't care. And not only do I really not care, because this is going to be the big thing we're going to look at, I'm going to lead other people to not care too. Right? Like, this is where it's starting to get really serious. So it's not just my own opinion of not caring. I'm going to teach other people to not care. I'm going to teach my kids not to care. I'm going to teach my wife not to care. I'm going to teach, you know, the people around me in my, you know, circle of influence not to care. And that's when it gets real serious when he says, now we got an issue. And the way that I'm going to deal with this issue isn't only to wake you up. Okay, listen to me. But to wake up the other people around you, because you're setting an example that are leading other people to hell. We tracking? Right? Like this is where he gets inside of the church in Thyatira. So when we read it, here's what we need to look at, because this was the church considered to tolerate sin. Okay? The church that was tolerating sin. And I think when we see it, because we're looking at it, we're like, what kind of church would tolerate sin? Or what kind of people would tolerate sin? And I think you'll be surprised what that tolerance came from and how it affects even us today. So let's read it. So let's go to Revelations 2. We'll start in verse 18. So in Revelations 2, starting in verse 18. So it says, To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, 
These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and your faith and your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I'll cast her on a bed of suffering, and I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. Unless they repent of her ways, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches the hearts and minds, and I repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep, deep secrets, I will now impose any. Uh, I will not impose any burden, any other burden on you, except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. The one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give uh, that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit of the church says. So here's the overall context, just like it's been in the past. Here's the city that it's in. Here's some good things that you are doing, and here's some things that you're doing wrong. Now, what are you going to do to change it? But for the first time, I think we see him being very forthright with those people who don't change. If you don't change, I'm going to kill you, Jezebel, and I'm only going to kill you. I'm going to kill your followers and you guys that are still not getting it right. You're going to have a life of suffering until you get it right. Right? So he starts dealing with them in a pretty harsh way. So we have to look at it and say, so why is it that the church tolerated sin? Are we just like the church in Thyatira? Or are we personally falling into the same thing as the church in Thyatira? And what do we need to do about it? Because if we're there, Jesus is at this place where he's saying there's some consequences that go with it. Okay? Are you ready? So let's break it down and look at it. So Revelation 2, starting in verse 18. It says, to the angel of the church in Thyatira right Now, understanding the city and what was going on inside of the city is really important to understand the compromise, okay? So Thyatira, unlike being a port city, was called a post, you know, city. So it meant on the Roman road there was a post where the Roman uh, soldiers would hang out before they would move on to Pergamum, before they'd move on to uh, Smyrna, or before they'd move on to Ephesus and to those port cities. So it was a post city, so it was a place where Roman soldiers would stop, and it was a city known for largely because of their manufacturing, okay? Because they were a huge manufacturing city, back then they had these things called guilds, right, which are just like unions today, okay? So if you've ever known anything about the union, I've never been in the union, so I'm going to say this. I'm pretty sure that this is true. But if you are in a union, you pay your union dues, right? And because you sign up with the union, essentially what you're saying is, I believe whatever the union says. I'm going to stand behind whatever the union does. I'm going to be a part of whatever that they are doing because I'm a part of the union. Now, you might disagree with a few things, but at the end of the day, you're saying, I'm a part of the union. I'm submitting to whatever the union believes, whichever way they're going to vote. So that makes, for most people who have been in a union, is that pretty close? Kind of close. Close? Yeah. The emphasis is, if you're going to sign up for a union, you're submitting to an authority that's over you being the union. Is that fair to say? 
Yeah. So anyway, so in the, the, these guilds, it was the same thing. If you were going to work, okay, so guys, put yourself in this position. You had to support your family. If you were going to go out and get a job in manufacturing, which was pretty much all of the jobs, and you went out there and they said, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to sign up with this guild to be able to work in this factory or this place. And when you sign up for this guild, this is what it means and this is what it's going to be. What goes with that is every guild worshipped a pagan deity, Okay, so every one of them worshipped a pagan god. So every guild had a pagan deity with it. So when you signed up for it, it'd be like, I'm supporting the pagan deity in which they worship by being a part of this guild. You were known for that. Does that make sense? So if Troy signed up with this union, whether he believed it or not, he was under the authority of this union and it pretty much said Troy agreed with this pagan deity by being in it, okay? So they would go out there, here's the big dilemma. So then all of a sudden people became Christians. So here's your dilemma. Troy has to provide for his family, right? So Troy goes home with his family, goes to his church, and he says, you know what? I don't really agree with the pagan deity, but I really have to work, and I have to make some money, and so I got to make a decision, right? So if I have to provide for my family, I'm just going to decide to compromise, right, by saying, I'm going to sign up for this, be in this guild, I'm going to go to their worship of this pagan deity, because that's the other thing you had to do, like you had to go to the worship of this pagan deity a couple times a year, so I'm going to go to it, but at the end of the day, I still love God, right, right, still love God, but I'm going to do this because at the end of the day, doesn't everybody have to work, and so it's not that I really worship him, I'm just signed up like I'm worshiping, that makes sense? Now, when we look at that, most of us would say, that's a pretty good idea, right? Like, if you had to work, and this is the only way that you could work, I mean, why not just sign up for this, be in this guild, and I guess at the end of the day, if they worship something, I don't really agree with all of it, but at the end of the day, i got to make some money. Don't you think that seems logical? Come on, if, your family, if you needed money and you had no other place to work, does it seem logical to go to work and just essentially say, I can worship God and this, and it's really not that big of a deal, right? Yes, it seems very logical. And the reason I say that is, is because compromise starts, compromising starts like this, right? It usually makes sense, Right? When you can talk your way through it, it usually makes sense of the reason that you have compromised when it comes to sin, right? Most people don't just be like, well, I really know it's wrong and I just keep doing it. They usually say, no, I know it's wrong, but I know the reason why I keep doing it, right? I've made it work, and this is what we find is inside of the church, and I think what you find maybe even inside of your life, you've created your own religion that is comfortable for you. Accepting or tolerating whatever sins make you feel uncomfortable and just justifying to say, this is why it doesn't matter to me, right? Or this is why I tolerate it because it doesn't really matter to me. And that's why I've always said, like, we have got to get to the place, right? Like, you need to understand, you need to be involved with people that can help call out truth when you've compromised in your life. Right? You need to have somebody that can sit beside you and say, no, that's not true. Like, I know you've talked through it, but this isn't really true, and you need to do something about it. Because in Thyatira, this all made sense to each one of them. And so they were just going down this road of compromise, and everybody looking from the inside out was like, well, I mean, we don't really have a choice. So this, if you want to work, if you want to go to school, if you want to do, you got to be a part of this. Right? So this is where they were at. Then it goes on and says this. 
imagery, right? So the imagery says, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, okay? So just real quick, this is important. If you go back to the church in Ephesus, right, and you look at the beginning, it says these are from, the words of God are from the person who holds the seven stars, right? Imagery. Why that imagery? Because it gives you an idea, that imagery gives you an idea of how he will deal with then that church. Does that make sense? So I am the one who holds the seven stars. Then he gets to the church in Smyrna. He says, I am the alpha and the mega, like I am the one, knowing that inside of persecution, I'm going to deal with you in a way so that you know that I am the alpha and the mega, or I am the beginning and the end. So he says that in the beginning there. This guy's going to deal with the church. He gets to uh, the church of Pergamum, and he says, I am the one with the double-edged sword coming out of my mouth. So I am like a double-edged sword because they needed to understand the word of God. They needed to understand how the word of God works into the lives of those people. Then he gets to the church of Thyatira and he says, and it's like the one with blazing eyes, okay? You know what the blazing eyes say? You can hide your sin and you can hide your compromise, but I see it. I see your sin. I see what you think you're keeping hidden, but I see into it. And not only do I see into it, this is the imagery that's really important, He has these burnished bronze feet that it talks about. And the reason that he talks about that is this. Not only do I see it, I'm coming to deal with it like those who deal with a wine press. So you remember the wine press? You know what they did? They throw all the grapes in and then you know what you do? Like you step on them and you crush them, right? And you keep walking over them again, over and over and over again. And you keep crushing those things, right? So he's saying... I'm coming to, I see your sin, and not only do I see your sin, I'm coming to deal with your sin, right, to crush it, to expose it, and maybe even, like we're going to see, crush you, right? And this is why. You know why it says the bronze burnished feet? Because God does care about purity. He does care about sin. Regardless of what anybody else has told you, when, the, when people use this, the Romans verse, we all sin, fall short of the glory of God, is an excuse to not be pure. It's a bad excuse. You hear me? Right? Like this isn't, that's, that verse was not made to give you an excuse to be a sinner. God wants purity from his people. Right? God wants, I see your sin. Give you a chance to repent from your sin. If you don't repent from it, I'm going to come and deal with it because what is important to me is purity. I want you to change. I don't want you to keep existing inside of this sin, right? Purity really matters. So he gives us that imagery to start this. Then he says uh, in verse 19, he says, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first, right? So I know your deeds, love, faith, your service, and your perseverance. And not only do I know all of those things, guess what? You're doing better than you were in the beginning. So there were people inside of the church that were listening to what God had to say, and they were actually getting better at it, right? And they were actually becoming more faithful in all of the things that they did, right? So they were moving in a good direction with that. Then he goes on and says, but this is what I have against you. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet by her teaching, and she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Now, real quick, the actual woman's name was not Jezebel, the person in the church at the time. So the person in the church of Thyatira, her name was not Jezebel. 
it was referring to the Jezebel spirit or to the Jezebel, like a Jezebel, meaning if you go back to 1 Kings, it's the real Jezebel who married King Ahab, right? So King Ahab, a Jewish king, married Jezebel, and here's what Jezebel did to the nation of Israel. She had them believe that the compromise of sin was okay, right? She taught that compromising sin was okay, and back then it was marrying Moabite women. Back then it was worshiping Baal. It was just different things. Now this new Jezebel spirit woman inside of the church was teaching this, a thing called dualism, right? So I'll be real quick on that. You can look it up later. Dualism meaning this, the, the body that we have is flesh and that God deals with the spirit and not the body so that any sin against the flesh doesn't really matter. So you can go out and do whatever you want with your flesh as long as it's not a sin against the spirit, right? So that was dualism. She was teaching that. There were people that were believing it. She taught a twisted version of grace, right? This was a twisted version of grace that she would say, well, you're all sinners and it doesn't, you know, you're all going to fall short of the glory of God. So what is God going to really matter? If you go to work, surely he's going to want you to go to work, even if you have to worship another God. Why? Because he's grace and love, right? So she made this twisted version and the church was buying into it. And then she also brought this in. Well, if you want to really reach unsaved people, then you need to act just like them, Right? But that she believed the only way to bring people to Jesus was to act like them instead of acting like Jesus, which is the weirdest thing ever if you really read scripture. You know what I mean? Because Jesus showed up in a city and who was all attracted to him? Unsaved people, right? And so, but she was teaching that like you need to act like everybody else because that's the only way you're going to be able to relate and that's the only way you're going to be able to be around them. So she taught that and people were buying into it, which leads us to the next part of the biggest problem with her sin. The biggest problem with her sin wasn't that she believed in dualism. It wasn't that she had a twisted version of grace and it wasn't she that was teaching the deepest depths of what, depths of what Satan was saying, right? That she believed these things. It's that she was teaching other people. And not only teaching other people, she was leading those people astray. Now, listen to me. So if you were bored, wake back up, okay? Because this is what you really have to know, okay? Because I really want you to get this, I'm telling you. This is the part that we can't skip over because I want you to understand every person in this room, okay? doesn't matter what your age is. If you have influence, which you all do, you are leading people either towards Jesus or astray. Okay? Now listen. If you have influence, which we'd all agree you do, it doesn't matter your age, you are leading somebody somewhere. Okay? The way that we act, the things that we do, are leading people towards something. Right? Now, I want you to understand to the best of my ability, that's why I said wake up, because if you get nothing out of the service, you should get this. God deals harshly with people who lead other people astray. Harshly. Okay? I'm going to read to you. You can go back and look at this, but I'm going to read to you Matthew 18, 6 through 10, and I'm just going to read the first part of it. But I want you to hear this, and I want you to go back, and I want you to read this. And I don't care what your age you are or whether or not you think you are or not leading people. You are leading people, and your influence are leading people somewhere. Now, listen to what he says with that in mind. 
Matthew 18, starting in verse 6. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those whom believe in me, so it's not talking about kids, it's talking about anyone, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Does he care about the way you lead people? Right? I mean, think about this. And I'm not just even saying, I want you to think about this. There are people watching you, whether you like it or not. Parents, your kids, the way that you spend your time, the way that you spend your money, the things that you do are influencing and leading your kids to get a perception of what it means to be a Christ follower. And I'm saying too many times we're given the wrong perception, right? We're going down the wrong road, and they're watching, right? Or we are living in a world where we, the way that we spend our time and the way that we spend our money and the things that we do, people are watching, and if this is their view, right, again, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, your leadership or influence leading somebody astray to come up with an idea that's wrong about what it means to be a Christian, he deals seriously with. I, mean, I don't know how else to say it other than better to be drowned in the bottom of an ocean with a millstone tied around your neck. I mean, I don't know how to be more clear that your influence matters, right? That what you're doing matters in the lives of people and that we don't want to end up like it is with Jezebel, right? We don't want to be a Jezebel spirit who just says, in our family, we've compromised sin and we've decided that we're going to do because we've justified why it's right to not do these things. We've decided in our friend group that we're going to live this way because we've justified why it's okay to not do these things, right? We don't want to be a Jezebel spirit inside of our relationships. Our responsibility is to call it out for what it is. It doesn't mean that you're going to get it right all the time, but can't you just call it a sin? Who's wrong with that? What's just wrong with saying this right here, the way that we're spending our time, the idols that we have in our life right now that shouldn't be idols are idols. Instead of talking around, well, the reason they're idols is because we're kind of in a stage of life right now where we need to do, you know what I mean? Like, you know how many times we've heard that conversation? Like, it's just because of the stage of life and the things that we're doing. And what else do you do with your kids? Because everybody else does it with their kids, right? And so we have to keep up with everybody else. And so we have to live in a certain way and do all these things in this certain order. Because if we didn't do it, then my kids aren't going to be able to catch up. And so what are you teaching your kids? What are you teaching the people around you, right? Like, the idea is, let's just, just call for what it is. You might not be able to change it right away, but at least you can call it out for what it is. And just call it out for a sin because the next thing that I want you to see is how he deals with the misleading, right? And how he says then how we're going to work with it, right? So here's what he says in verse 21. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she still is unwilling. So I'll cast her on a bed of suffering, and I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. Unless they repent from her ways, I will strike her children dead. So here's what I want you to see just real quick. In the midst of, and this is why I always tell people it's good to just call it a sin. So if you're worshiping, you know, if your kids are your idol right now, just admit it. If the things are, you know, if, you're, if what's being revealed 
for you today is you've got stuff going on that you need to change. You know why it's being revealed to you today? So you can repent. See, you know what's so great about the grace of God? Is that he gives you a chance to repent and he just doesn't strike you dead. Because he should just strike you dead. Should just strike me dead. You know what's so great about the grace of God? He says, I'm going to give you a chance. You know how he gives us a chance? Reveal, reveal, reveal. And you know what I mean? Like, we're all on this journey. Like, I mean, you could just put this at any time in your life. Like, this, like, this whole idea of he reveals what you need to do, and then you, you're really good at it for a while, and then you fall off. It's kind of like the whole diet and exercise thing for me. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, my gosh, I need to get in the gym. And you get in the gym, and you're all excited, and you're in there, and you're doing really good. And then you kind of get out of the gym, and then you open up your shirt and look at yourself. And you're like, oh, i got to repent and get back in the gym. <laughs> right? Do you know what I mean, right? Like, that's the way that he works, right? This isn't a God that's just sitting there saying, I can't wait to kill him. I can't wait to strike him down. He's a God that's saying, I'm going to reveal. I'm going to reveal. And I know you're going to have some times, and you're going to be trucking along, and you're going to fall off, but I'm going to wake you back up. I'm going to open up your heart again. I'm going to open it up again, and I want you to repent. I want you to get it right, right? I want you to get it, because this is what he did with Jezebel. Gave her plenty of times to do what? Repent. Repent. And she did nothing about it. Plenty of times to change her ways. Plenty of times where she had a revealing and did nothing about it, right? So it wasn't that God just looked at this Jezebel spirit and just said right away, she's terrible, we're going to do away with her. It was, I'm going to give you a chance, I'm going to give you a chance, I'm going to give you a chance, and she did nothing about it. And because she did nothing about it, that's why we see inside of this, I gave her time to repent, but because she didn't, I'm going to cast her on a bed of suffering. Right, he says, and, I'm going to, and her children that are committing adultery with her, I'm going to give them a chance. But if they don't, you're going to suffer intensely. You know why? Because you know what matters the most to him is not whether you do or don't suffer, but whether or not you're in the right relationship with him. Suffering isn't an issue with Jesus. Right? You're going to experience suffering. You're going to have those things in your life because he's trying to wake you up. And sometimes it takes of being on a bed of suffering. Sometimes it takes being in some of these places on our knees to wake us up to the way that we need to repent, right? And he's bringing you to those places because he loves you and he wants you to change and he wants you to go in a different direction. Because here's the other thing that he knows, and this is really important. All of those things are gonna happen and this is why. If he does that, if he deals with his people that way, if he deals with the Jezebel spirit that way, then this is what will happen. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches hearts and minds, and I will pray each of them according to their deeds. Here's what you got to get. When he's dealing with me, it's not just about me. Do you know why? Because other people are watching me. So when he deals with me, it's so that people can understand how God deals with people. And my response to that is going to show or should show the glory of God, right? Like that's, what should, that's the way it should be, right? Is how I should respond to those things should be the glory of God is revealed. Because here's what he says inside of this. And the worship team, you guys can make your way back up and then we'll end with this. Because he says, the churches will know that I am the one who searches what? Hearts and minds. You see, for everybody in this room, this is what we know if you read scripture. It's not whether you do or don't make a mistake, right? Because we're all on that road. (laughs) You know what I mean? We've all been on these paths. But when he searches your heart, 
he sees something, right? He understands something. And here's what he knows. He's going to search your heart because you know why he's searching your heart? Because here's what he knows, okay? And we should all understand this. Our deeds reflect our heart. Talk around it. Make excuses for it. Your priorities of your life to your children right now, parents, are through the deeds of your life. What's the priority? If they were watching, right? You hear me? Right? Like, what's the priority for them? If you're in a circle of people, right, and you're sitting around in a circle of people who know you, and they look at your deeds of your life, what is it going to say about your heart and your priority? Right? Like this is the stuff that's so important because that's what he's trying to reveal. That's what he's trying to get to. What he's trying to get for all of us, right, is to get to the place where our deeds, to the best of our ability, right, because we're all trying to figure out life, to the best of our ability, reflect a heart that's after God. That's what the world needs to see. Not perfect people. <laughs> Nobody needs to see perfect people because then everybody knows you're a faker anyway. Right? If you're going to try to be a perfect person, that's not what the world needs to see is a bunch more fakers. The world doesn't need to see a lot more religious people. What the world needs to see is people chasing after the heart of God. Right? In the midst of all of the things that are going on in this world. Right? That's what he needs to see from each one of us. And he ends it with this. He says, now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold on to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to, what, uh, hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I want to end with this. Just be reminded. There is a difference between hearing and listening. Right? This is what he wants from you today. Not just to take in more information, but to listen to what he has to say to you. Because individually, I don't know what it is. I don't know where you are in your life, but individually he's trying to reveal something to you. What's he trying to reveal? What needs to change? What lifestyle thing needs to change? What priorities need to change? What sin have you went ahead and justified being okay that you need to change? Whatever those things are, once it is revealed, let's listen. Repent and do something about it so we to this world can show that we are a people that love our Lord and love our Savior and are going after him with all of our heart. Will you stand so I can pray for you? Suddenly, Father, we come to you knowing that um, inside of this, we've justified a lot of things in our life, and we've, we've uh, conformed too many times to the way of the world. So I pray that the, the scales will fall off. If we have justified, if we have changed, you know, to the point of saying that these sins don't matter, Lord, will you unveil that today for each one of us? May we, Lord, not be a Jezebel spirit, 
And Lord, may we take serious what it means to mislead or to influence people in the wrong direction. Lord, reveal to us where our priorities and the things that we're doing in our life and the the things that we are saying are misleading people. Let us change that today, Lord. We know that we need to repent from those things. And Lord, most of all, may we bring you the glory and you alone. Lord, we love you. Today we pray, amen.
time. Yeah, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. I think for all of us, there's no better way to end. Like our motivation for living out this life that God's called us to live out is just that, because he loves us. He passionately pursues us and wants a relationship with each one of us. So I just pray as a church and as people of God that we will get in the right place so that we can experience his love and that we can share that love with the rest of the world. So thanks again for joining us here in our main campus. Thanks for joining us online, and we'll see you guys again next week.